And welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Musset. And Father Peter Musset, I am recording from Boulder, Colorado. Where are you recording from this week? I am in the Napa Valley at the Meritage Resort uh, at the Napa Institute Conference. Spending your time drinking wine, feeling fine? Dude, drinking wine, feeling fine. Dude, you don't even know. This is like what, what <laughs> the conferences should be like because... Um, it's basically like you have wine tastings all of the time. So, so really? like, oh yeah, yeah. Instead and of like water bottles and refreshments in the back of the room, or is it just carafes of wine? Carafe, bottles and uh, bottles of beautiful boxes wine. Boxes and boxes of wine. Boxes and boxes of wine. <laughs> Ain't nothing in the box around here, brother. Oh, I bet. Uh, so this is like the you're like a, like the premier Catholic leadership gathering conference. Why on earth did you get to go? Um, I'm well, just kidding. That I, was meant to be a. <laughs> Why did I? I'm just kidding. Come on, punk, I'm dude. kidding. So far, this is. You know what's really interesting is that normally wherever I go, I find a lanky guy's listener. Uh oh, but not there. I, and so far, <laughs> I am. I'm just the kind of like oh. funny looking ponytailed priest. <laughs> 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 and and, uh, and and nobody knows me. It's kind of nice. Like I feel like some I, people know you, but not through the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Like you've got friends there, dude. You've got friends there too. I don't. I'm alone in, in the basement, dude. Which, <laughs> by the way, I did a new display in our you studio. It's cool. It's very cool. I wish I, we were a video this week, but we're not. Yeah, we put all our. I put all my backpacks and I stuffed them with pillows and put them on the wall, so it feels like I'm shopping at REI in my backpacks own backpacks and briefcases and like waterproof things. It's really cool. Yeah, it's neat. there's so, always a new. There's always a new display when I come over to Father Peter's house. Sometimes it's boots. Sometimes it's backpacks. Sometimes it's <laughs> it's 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 paraphernalia, religious knickknacks, accoutrements. Accoutrement, as some would say. Well, well, dude, dude we got to get to business because you got a conference to attend. Dude, I got a conference, and I, I'm excited. Uh, uh, Helen Alvarez is speaking this morning, wow. and uh, it's cool. There's a lot of people there at that conference that we've had to speak here in Boulder before, so that's always that's really fun to me. It is for me too. So, well, dude, we are in the 15th Sunday in ordinary time. Mm-hmm. We sure are 15th Sunday. Oh, by the way, I want to give a public service announcement. We. Um, I made a slight mistake. I don't know if anybody had a hard time last week getting access to the podcast. I, um, I, I missed one line of code. I miscoded something, and so the date was incorrect. So it might have shown up if you had iTunes or Google Play or whatever you had. It might have shown up in the wrong place. But thank you to alert listener Joseph McMullen, who, who actually went somehow got into our coding system and found the glitch. <laughs> It was amazing, and he sent me a detailed email about exactly what went wrong. So uh, I fixed that. It was just it had the wrong date on it, so it might have adjusted itself as to where it showed up in your podcast feed. So if you experienced any problems with last week's podcast, I apologize. If you missed it, it was a really good one. You should go back and listen. Dude, uh, so thank you to Joseph, by the way. Thanks, Joseph, and thanks for hacking our system. You know, I think that we like <laughs> have to like give like hack awards for we, the people I, who hacked Joseph this would system. get it. Yeah, dude, so... You win a pen of your own choosing from your own desk drawer. It's yours. <laughs> a coffee mug from your pantry. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, 15th. Okay. In 15th Sunday in our time, our first reading is from a uh, famous Amos, the cookie famous maker. Amos. Which we don't get a whole lot of Amos, and I really like Amos. He is a, 
He's had a hard, he got a hard job, man. Dude, no kidding, man. He was a dresser of sycamore trees. So Amos 7, 12 to 15. Yep. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 85, verses 9 through 10, 11 through 12, and 13 through 14. And the response itself is coming from 8. And then um, we have a second reading, which we're doing the longer form, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, yo. 3 to 14. Boom. And then our gospel is coming from Mark, as usual in year B. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Yeah. Boom, um, there you go. Boom. So uh, so it's time to look. So Amos, man, I, I well, think of, I think some background in Amos. Did we have Amos? We didn't have Amos, famous Amos last week, did we? No, we were in, uh, it was, was it, Jer- it was a prophet. Was it Ezekiel? I think it was Ezekiel, right? Yeah, I think Zeke. Oh, yeah. It's, I feel like we've been in, so I've been trying to figure this out, and maybe definitely the last two weeks, I can't remember what it was a couple weeks back, but I feel like the church has been pointing us toward the prophets a lot in the last few weeks, which, not just the prophets, but specifically the call of the prophets, which is just kind of been fascinating me. As I was walking up to the rectory, I was thinking about that, and um, they've all, it's sort of this highlight of how hard the job of the prophets are going to be. That's sort of what the readings have been pointing us to, which I was trying to think of what, what is the church trying to tell us? Because Amos, it, you know, he's going to basically go back and describe. So I think it was last week we got the call of Ezekiel. Here's how God went about calling him to do this profoundly difficult job. Yeah. Now we get uh, Amos kind of retelling how God called him out of unusual circumstances for a prophet and why he has sort of the criteria to do this. But it, it's all of these really difficult situations. And I was trying to think of what the church is doing. And the one thing I was thinking about, and I'll just throw this out from the outset, we are in year B in the liturgical cycle. So I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this much on the podcast in the past, but the way that the liturgy and the liturgical cycle works, there's there's three years, right? So we have year A, year B, and year C. So if you've ever been a lector at Mass, you've probably seen that in the lectionary, or if you're a priest or a deacon or something like that. Right. Um, and during year A, we always read from the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew is, it's first in our canon, but it's also first in sort of pedagogy in the sense that Matthew is the most catechetical gospel, right? It's got, so if you want to know who Jesus was and what he's, who Jesus is and what he said and what he taught, Matthew's got the most of the content of Jesus's teaching. So it's the what, right? But then in year B, we move on to Mark, which is the so what, or rather the now what. And Mark is the one who says, okay, now that you've seen who Jesus is, understood his teaching, or at least heard his teaching, Mark is the one that challenges us to do something about the discipleship gospel. Yeah, you know, and and in an immediate capacity. I mean, that like it's it's like yeah. it's like you can you know what this Get is up. now. Yeah. And, and it's usually going to be difficult because it's definitely one of the harshest gospels. There's more exorcisms. There's more, you know, just people really suffering and having to be healed of debilitating things in Mark, um, which is where we are liturgically. So I wonder if there's something about the church pointing us toward these prophets who are facing the they're they're living out even prior to Jesus. They're living out the call of discipleship saying, okay, the word of the Lord is speaking to you. It's going to be incredibly difficult, but now you need to get up and do something about it. And so we're getting all of these little stories, these little vignettes of these prophets getting up and doing something about it, which is, it's a good little microcosm of what the gospel is sort of pointing us toward doing. Dude, that is what it feels like to be at the Napa conference. It's really interesting. No, I'm serious. Like, well, every- There's probably a lot of dressing of uh, sycamores with 
wine. <laughs> you are such a punk. <laughs> what the wine vineyards and dressing of dressing of vines and stuff, right? Dude, if we I'm not not to... trying to be a punk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make real connections here. Okay, see, real no, I... live in time. <laughs> timeliness i'm trying to be timely yeah, absolutely no it's it's like a lot of people talking about how do we live immediately and huh. respond to the gospel right now in our lives and make it real like that's the that's the kind of people that are here they're all like, after this glass of wine after this glass of wine in the midst of the glass of wine. only one more and then we'll do it I'm just i'm just kidding <laughs> it just sounds so okay. fun. I'm just jealous of you. That's all. Okay. See. Okay. Now that makes sense. You. <laughs> it just sounds punk. fun. That's fine. That's fine. I've got work to do. Yeah, you, same here, man. Well, <laughs> I know, just, dude, I would I would have invited you, but um, no, I dude, I can't. I can't. I didn't come. want you here with me. Jeez. So. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. now it's getting mean spirited. Now no, we're falling into that I'm not, trap. I'm not mean. No, I started it. I love you. All right, all right. Let's okay. So, 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 so. Um, as far as a little bit of context in yeah, the midst context of this, for for Thanks. for Amos. So, okay, you, you have Amos. the you have the t- the ten and two split. So you have the ten tribes of Israel who yep. have who've split off from southern Israel. And They've created the their own temple in the north because they miss being able to sacrifice to God. And but but then well, it was but, really they created it out of a fear of people going down to Jerusalem to sacrifice, right sacrifice, but then feeling this affection for the southern kingdom because that's where their temple was. So it was a political fear move that said, man, if they're still feeling a connection with Jerusalem, then they're going to have sympathies politically towards Ju- Jerusalem. Oh. So we better just start our own temples so they stop having this emotional connection with that place. Oh. It was definitely a power move on the part of the kings. Oh, and so so what ends up happening though is that in the midst of it they start to kind of miss the mark and uh, <laughs> I'll say and and that's and, a gentle way of putting it. Yeah, and and in this royal temple and this king's sanctuary, mm. um, it's, uh, it 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 t- kind of like falls apart really quickly, right? Well, here's the yeah, it does. Here's the thing about um, the thing about Amos that I think is is most significant. This is it's viewed. There's debate. But it's often viewed as the earliest of the 12 minor prophets. So it's really early. And I think we're talking about the 800s or so, seven or 800s, something like that. And so we're dealing with the time before the Northern Kingdom was obviously wiped out because they're there. But we're talking about this relatively brief time where they're doing really well. Financially, politically, powerful wise, they're they're thriving. They're wealthy. They are have lots of crops. They're, They're doing great. And they have gotten very, very comfortable. And in the midst of that, the Lord is saying, but you have broken all of my commandments. Yeah, you've got financial wealth. Yeah, you've got political power. Yeah, you're sitting pretty and you feel comfortable up there. But you are far from me. And it's, it's actually, I think it's one of the most devastating of the prophets. Because there's this finality to it that says, you are so far gone, Northern Kingdom, that you're done. It's not, you know, most of the prophets have this sort of if-then framework. If you turn back, then you will be spared of this punishment. Right. There's not much if-then in Amos. It is, this is it, you guys are going down. And, and it's coming at the height of their prosperity, the height Eesh. of them feeling fantastic about themselves. And so what's oh, interesting no. about the, the passage that we get, we're introduced, well, we're, we're kind of given the backstory of Amos. So this guy named Amaziah, who was the, the guy who founded Amazon, um, Amaziah <laughs> says that's no, not true. <laughs> it's Jeff Bezos' nickname. The no, Amaz- it's not. It's not. That's okay. Let's move on from that. Okay, Amaziah, he's one of the priests up in the Northern Kingdom, and so 
he's obviously got stake in people being far from the one true God because it's keeping them all in power and it's keeping their political structure and their religious structure. These are not right priests. These are not Levitical priests. These are people who are far from the will of God. Um, and he is like, basically, who is this guy? He's like one of the official court kingdom priests. And he's like, who is this Amos guy? He's sowing all this destruction. He's sowing discord. He's telling people all of these terrible things. He's warning them about the destruction that's coming. He's making people lose heart. He's making people uncomfortable. Like, this is not okay. Right. And so he tells the king, and the king gets mad. And he's like, off with you. If you want, you know, you want your kind of people, go down to Judah. Go to the southern kingdom. We don't want you here. And then you could be a prophet. And uh, Amos's response is basically, I didn't want this job. <laughs> Well, it's I didn't want this job, but most of the prophets don't seem to want their job. Well, hold on. But the hold thing on. That Even before we get there, though, like okay. um, in the in the language itself, when I was studying um, Hebrew, one of the things that you you want. <laughs> why do you smile at me so? I'm not smiling. I mean, I am, but not at you. <laughs> well, this is the thing: is that um, I thought you were going to say something else. Is that uh, is when I was studying Hebrew the. Um, uh, you, you you do passages from Amos because it's the most simple Hebrew yes, you can right. get to. That the, the language itself, like like yes. here's everybody in the north, and they think that they're all super sophisticated and totally amazing. <laughs> yes. But That's in re, but in and and so Amos is this like simple guy. He's a country bumpkin who's like, hey, you, you know, they, they he says, get out of here, you like simpleton, and he's like, nah, man. He's like. Yeah, I was a shepherd and a dresser of sycamores, man. But the Lord said to me, you got to go do this, even if I have simple language, even if even if I'm an uncomplicated man in the midst of your super sophisticated little royal temple regime up north, punk. Well, well, in a certain sense, with what you're saying, there's two things going on. Number one, Amos is um, not being part of the power structure, so to speak is what gives him the criteria to speak to the power structure. Right. He's like, I'm not one of you. Look, I'm not, you know, in it for the money. I'm not, I don't have some vested interest. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who God called to do this. And what he's speaking against is this, this facade of power, this facade of prosperity. And Amos comes carrying none of that. He's like, I'm a poor guy. I'm from out here. I'm not part of this world. So I have the, I have the, um, the duty really to come and speak into it. But the other thing he's doing, so he's an outsider, but the other thing he's doing with what you're saying, it, it, there is a reason that you study, when you study biblical Hebrew, you start with Amos because they're not as great as they think they are. And so in a certain <laughs> sense, Amos is embodying the truth about them. Yeah. You think you're high and mighty. You think you're so great and wealthy and powerful, but you're not. And Amos is this kind of uh, painful reminder that you're not as great as you think. You're not as sophisticated and powerful as you think you are. Yeah. And Amos carries that not just in his message, but in his own person, which is what a prophet is supposed to do. He's supposed to carry his message or the message of the Lord in his very person. Yeah, in, in word and in deed. I mean, exactly that's why right. we call Jesus Christ the, the, the greatest prophet is because his deeds, his words and his deeds are in such perfect coordination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, when you're called to prophecy, it's not merely that you're meant to speak. It's that your whole life is an example and a witness. And yes. that's one of the hardest things to realize in following Christ. It's not just like health and wealth. We're not just going to be like, oh, everything's all great. No, sometimes it's actually the Lord understands the deep poverty of your life, and he's going to utilize that. And then he's going to call upon that even in word to be able to be, uh, to be able to pour forth and show his glory. 
But it's hard, as Amos is really pointing out, it's hard to point out how impoverished we actually are. Yes. Especially when we've built up all of the stuff that makes us feel like we're not. I mean, there, there's something about the power and the wealth that they're experiencing in Amos's time that makes them think, well, we don't need God because we're fine on our own. Look, we, we, we've taken care of ourselves. Yeah. We've got enough. We've got political power. We're fine. We don't need you. Which is, I mean, if there's anything that speaks so clearly to our culture and our times, it is this fact that we have created this world or we feel like we've created this world where we don't actually need atheism. This is one of my soapboxes. Atheism is a completely modern invention. There's no ancient civilization that was dependent on rain to fall from the sky or, you know, the seasons to work correctly to have food so they could eat and feed their families and survive that didn't believe in something other than themselves. Right. But we have actually created a world in which, you know, I can go to Safeway and I have no clue where my food comes from or how it got there and I don't have to think about it at all. Right. So I don't actually have to believe that there's anything beyond me except for my credit card because I can acquire anything I want and be in complete control of my life. And Amos is like, uh-uh, that's not, that's not reality. <laughs> And there's going to come a day where it's all going to come crashing down. And I'm not saying that's where we're headed necessarily, but when we forget wholesale about the God who actually holds us in existence, then we do start heading down that road. Yes. So anyway, that, that's a good segue into the psalm, I think. Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. And, and that, it's that first stanza, I guess you would call it, where it says, I will hear what God proclaims. Which is, it's, it's almost put there ironically because Amaziah and the rest of the Israelites up north are doing the opposite. I will hear what the Lord proclaims. Well, what the Lord is proclaiming is destruction and punishment through the <laughs> mouth of this guy who comes from Nowheresville, yeah. who was a dresser of sycamores. And, and then here comes the psalm saying, I will hear what the Lord proclaims, literally after reading an story, a story of explicitly people not hearing what the Lord proclaims. And so in a certain sense, built into the psalm is this consequence. If you don't listen to, if you don't do what the psalm suggests we ought to do, look back to the story of Amos and see how that worked out for him. Well, yeah, because we know that the first, the 10 tribes, the northern tribes are going to be the ones that are sucked off into the vacuum of Babylon at first. Uh, uh, not Babylon, uh, uh, Syria. Syria, yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Syria. Assyria, I, w I needed to be a little bit more serious about my scholarship. Ah. Ah. You know? <laughs> but yeah, no, man, like the vacuum of the North, man, those guys just get like hoovered up, dude. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying um, to use some vivid imagery good. here, buddy. It's a vivid image, man. <laughs> but, but I do have to, you do have to know the next line. I will hear what the Lord proclaims, what God proclaims, which is what, what is what is God proclaiming through Peace. Amos? But what is he proclaiming through Amos? Destruction. Destruction. And so the, the key to discerning the will of God and the word of God is actually find what is true. And so sometimes God has to punish in order to restore and bring us to peace. Because yes. any good father actually has to punish his children sometimes in order to restore them and, and to bring peace to the family. But that's hard to see when you're in the middle of the punishment. Right. But the psalm is trying to remind us of the bigger picture because you can read that in, in a wrong-headed juxtaposition. Say, well, Amos isn't proclaiming peace. Well, yeah, he actually is, but we just have to see God's long game in this. Mm. And kindness and truth shall meet, justice and peace shall kiss, truth shall come spring out of the earth. It, all of these things are coming. You just have to trust me. I know it's hard now, but there is more than you can see. 
And that's what the psalm is all about. Which is really what the experience of being a prophet is. Yeah, that's right. Is that you're like, okay, you know what? His salvation is near. It's kind of like, it's like Ignatius. He says, when you're in times of desolation, consolation is coming. And when you're in consolation, desolation Mm -hmm. is coming. Like, remember the Lord does show up. You know, you're not... You're not abandoned, and the, yes. and like and the and the prophetic thing when the Lord says, "I'm going to pull you from what you're doing, and I'm I've got a real task for you." And when you're faithful to it, you really need to know that the Lord is going to show up for you. Yes, absolutely. Or you need to trust that you He need, will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. Well said. Well said, my brother. No, yeah. I mean, you probably said it better. It's just hard to do. It's hard to have that knowledge, which is why we're charged with the you know, faith, hope, and charity. We have to have faith that he will and hope that he will, um, which is a kind of knowing, I suppose, right? But it's just hard. It's just hard. It's just hard. That's the truth, which is, um, which, which is like, uh, how do you go through that time of purification when you're being set free from worldliness and I'm being called to actually live in a deeper divine capacity? I think that that's what Ephesians is actually going to get us to. Ephesians, man, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So Ephesians, oh, it's, me unique. Too. it's unique in the canon of, of the Pauline epistles uh, for two reasons. Number one, um, Ephesians, Ephesians is one of the only letters of Paul where he's not trying to put out a fire, right? Or, or try to solve some major problem that's going on. And it's unique and very significant because it's one of the only letters of Paul where Paul's actually allowed to speak on his own terms. Because most of Paul's letters, he's responding to something else, right? Yeah, he's Here's dealing, this thing putting that, out fires. Exactly right. And in this one, he's not. I mean, there, there are fires in Ephesus. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's issues. But he's actually able to speak sort of, this is what I want to say. I don't have to simply respond to what you're saying. This is how I want to say it. And what we have here, it's a very unique... Um, passage in scripture because so the the way that letters usually work there's a structure to letters right you begin you always in the ancient world would begin a letter with the signature which is why whenever paul begins a letter or any of the epistles in the new testament right it always starts with the signature which if you think about it is a much more efficient way to write a letter so you don't have to scroll to you know to flip through all the scrolls to the end and find out who wrote it so he always starts by saying paul an apostle of christ and i'm writing to x to the church in ephesus right so who it's from who it's to and then there's always the greeting. So Paul usually says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then usually in a letter, and this is just the way that letters were written, you'd give the signature, you'd give who it's to, you'd give a greeting, and then you would start into a thanksgiving section. And this was just, this was the, the way that you structured a letter. If you're writing a, a, a letter to grandma, like, to my grandma from Scott, um, greetings, I hope you're having a great summer. Thank you so much for the Christmas gift you sent last year. It was great, and I love my socks. You know, whatever it is, you find something to to do Thanksgiving for. But here, Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't put the Thanksgiving section. Instead, he launches in to what's known as a Berakah blessing. And so in a certain sense, Paul is now putting on the hat of a prophet, Mm. and he's blessing God. And, And prophet, really all a prophet means, we think of prophets as somebody who tells the future, which is not entirely true. Well, I a think prophet of prophets is, somebody... is like what you make when you've put invested some capital and then it <laughs> starts to return. Mm-hmm. So well said, Father l- Peter. A l- little, little different, you know? Mm, yes, profits with an F. <laughs> dude, don't throw, <sighs> a fit. don't throw a fit about it, dude. I was trying to think of how to get there, pun-wise. Yeah. But anyway, a, pro- a prophet is somebody who just gives insight into what God is doing. Yeah, it tells the truth in a specific context. 
Yeah. And so really the context of Ephesus is um, (laughs) it's it's funny that the church actually chose to put this one here because I was reading through it and and there's not. And, you know, the second reading is always the wild card, but there's not the explicit, you know, here's the role of the prophet of discipleship, of going out to, you know, this challenging circumstance that you kind of see in the other readings. This one's sort of coming out of nowhere. But if you know the context of Ephesus, I wonder if there's something to it. It's a beautiful reading on its own right. But uh, the northern kingdom in the time of Amos was in a lot of ways the heart of spiritual darkness. They had created not only their own political structure and their own kings, anointed their own priests, but they were worshiping all sorts of weird deities who were not God. So when we talk about the temple at Bethel and the other temples that were elsewhere throughout the northern kingdom, we're not talking about the worship of Yahweh. We're talking about the worship of a whole lot of pagan gods and idols and, uh, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, those things are just not God. You're not worshiping rightly. But on the other hand, you can suggest that there's probably a lot of spiritual warfare going on there and demonic stuff right. and spiritual, spiritual, spiritually dangerous stuff going on in the Northern Kingdom, which is the fruit of it. And this is how the evil one loves to work, right? He loves to, he loves to, what does he do with Jesus? When he takes Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him, he tempts him with riches and power and protection, right? Right. Which is what the Northern Kingdom is experiencing. We have riches, we have power, and we are protected. And Amos is saying, no, that's not real. That is false. And there is real spiritual danger that you guys are in. Right. That fits really well with the context of Ephesus, which was, in its time, really the center of... It's anachronistic, but it's what we would call like the new age kind of stuff going right. on. It's, it's it the center a, of the occult. Yeah, it had the, the gigantic temple to Artemis. To the, Artemis. The false mother of God. It was. Yeah, the, the mother of all living, the divine virgin, she was called. All sorts of things that were, you know, the opposite. But it also, there, just on a on an economic level, if you remember, this is talked about in Acts. Um Economically, Ephesus was wealthy and they were known because they built amulets and charms and like crystals and 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 uh, spell books and occult stuff like that was their their financial industry. Really? And so if you're yeah. So they're in Acts of the Apostles, when Paul goes there, everybody's bringing out all of their stuff and burning it in the street. And the business owners are furious. They're like, that's our money. Like, that's how we make our livelihood. And you're burning all the amulets and prayer books and all these things. And so this is a big financial powerhouse. It was, it was, there were these amulets that floated around the Roman Empire that um, most of them. You say floated, you you don't actually (laughs) I don't mean mean actually floating. They existed. (laughs) But the writing on them was known as Ephesian Grammatica. They were the Ephesian writings because that was where you got the, in the same sense we talked about Corinth, right? To really insult a young woman, you'd call them a Corinthian girl which was like the worst insult you could give a girl. In the same way, there was a reference point to the city of Ephesus with regard to the occult or idolatry and all these practices. It was Ephesian grammatica. That was the writings and these spells and all sorts of stuff. So Paul is writing this into the heart of that. He's speaking to that world, which is powerful and wealthy and in grave spiritual danger. Yes. And that, so he's saying these beautiful things about how God is our father and he blessed us in Christ and he gave us these blessings from the foundation of the world and we are adopted as his sons and daughters. He forgave our transgressions and he's saying all of the, really in a certain sense, he's saying the exact opposite of what Amos is saying. Amos is saying, look at all that you've lost. Paul is saying, look at all that you've gained. And he's speaking to a very similar 
cultural situation as Amos is. But he's giving the other side of the coin. He's giving the side of the coin that the psalm is pointing ahead toward. Amos is on one side of God's plan. The Ephesians are on the other side of God's plan. And mm. they're seeing the fruit of when God said, okay, you have to clean up your ways. You have to turn from this. And you're going to be punished. But after your punishment, I'm going to build you back up. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians about the building back up and saying, you know, differently than Amos is, he's saying there's real spiritual danger here. But he's saying, but look at what you have access to if you only reach out and grasp it. And we see the fruit of it from Acts of the Apostles because we know everybody lost their minds and, and flipped out and had these huge conversions and started burning stuff in the street in, in um, uh, what's the word? They were trying to rid themselves well, I can't think of the right word to um, renounce Purge. this renouncement or purging of all of these things that, that informed their life. So as I'm even as I'm speaking, really, Ephesians is the flip side to Amos. Yeah. And and yet and, and yet at the same at the core of what they are trying to do is a call. Amos has said, I was called yes. and I responded. And then mm. in Ephesians, it says in him, we were chosen yeah, and we have yeah, a destiny right. in accord with the one who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will. So yeah, that right. we huh. might exist for the praise of his glory, who we first hoped in Christ. Like that Amos is, yeah. is, is actually his whole life is to meant to praise and to glorify God. And that's and, and that's that's the way that we understand it is like chosenness leads to this willingness to. Um, be, to be, to to release and and that's where yes. that's where you can see it in Amos is he's like remember who you are everybody yes. and these are the consequences for not knowing who you are and in Ephesians it's saying no no like mm. here we are and this is the glory of who we are so it's almost like a positive negative it's a yes. not, it's a it's a numerator and a denominator exactly right <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a dude when I was uh, when I, I was uh, I was just uh, where was I I was in some city oh I was in San Francisco on the way to Napa and some guy had a had a had a t-shirt and it's and it literally just had a numerator and denominator on it. I thought that was awesome so <laughs> is that why that's in your head yeah it, it is uh, that dude's t-shirt so thank you maybe Mr. I'll make dude. you a t-shirt Mr. Dude Mr. Dude thanks for that I hope he's listening yeah if he is more power to you mr numerator denominator which reminds me i was in a, i was in a band and we called ourselves the reciprocal of the lowest common denominator posse jeez oh, that is, can be taken a lot of different ways yeah dude i just well, it, it, the t-shirts were horrible and you couldn't even read them so <laughs> nice you had a lot of bands hey man that's one thing i'll say about you hey dude that's uh you know i'm tied with bands of love speaking of bands of love the gospel of mark Yo. All right. So this is this is really so we talked about Mark being all about discipleship and in a lot of ways like this is the capstone statement of discipleship. You know what I mean? Well, that's not true. I guess the pick up your cross and follow me would be. But this is but this is but this is a big one, right? No, dude, oh, the well, capstone the capstone is when he says um therefore go out to all nations and make disciples of everybody. Yeah, but that's in Matthew. Oh. That's in Matthew though. Dang it. Talking about in Mark. I'm sorry. But what is discipleship? Sorry. It's to follow Jesus, right? Sorry. The fruit of following Jesus is to be sent out to the nations. That's true. But I still think the capstone, because we won't all be sent out. But this is, this is, I guess, maybe 
what this is speaking to is that call that we've been talking about, right? Mm. Amos was called. And, and what's beautiful about this, and this is really what Paul is unpacking in a certain way, but this is where Jesus is pointing toward the fact that in the Old Testament, God worked in limited ways, right? He worked through these individuals, and he still does. But he called Amos. He called Ezekiel. He called Jeremiah. But here in the gospel, what Jesus is showing and what he's sort of foreshadowing is that now he's going to do for all of us or charge to all of us what he called Amos to do and Ezekiel to do and Jeremiah to do, right? It's not, and and in a certain sense, even Amos is embodying that, right? He's showing that prophecy is not for the elite. It's not merely for this particular caste of society. It's for whoever God chooses to send. And so in the gospel, as Jesus begins to send out the 12, as they go two by two to preach the gospel and to cast out unclean spirits and all these things, um, if you really look at who the disciples are, these are not, this is not the power structure of Israel, right? There's some, there's some tax collectors, there's some Pharisees, there's, there's a the scattering of these rando people, there's some fishermen, but it is a microcosm of everyone, that's who the disciples are, right, in a certain sense. Mm, yes. And so it's giving this insight. This is not, and again, Amos already pointed to this. To be a prophet is not just to be a part of this really special group of, of people at this part of society. Right. It is whoever God chooses. And I won't even go so far as to say it's everyone because we all have the capacity for that. But it's whoever God wants to call because we'll all be called in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus calls these guys. He called Amos to do that. He calls these guys to go out to all the, to all the cities to have authority over unclean spirits. And that's where he told them, don't take anything. Don't take a, you take a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in your belts. You are, you're allowed to wear sandals, but don't take a second tunic and all this stuff. In a lot of ways, you know, I don't know if you know this, uh, St. Francis based the structure of his order in large part on this passage. And he's like, okay, great. This is what Franciscans ought to look like. We want, we're not going to take money. We're not going to take sack. We're only going to take one tunic. We'll have our, you know, we'll have our uh, our thing. Money belt? <laughs> what was it called? No, no, no money belt. But all this stuff. But Francis read this and he was like, oh, it was like the light bulb went off. He's like, that's how we ought to live. That's how we're supposed to act. This is right. what my order is supposed to look like, yeah. which is kind of cool. Dude, it's the best. And, and that's why it's actually one of the most compelling things is it's just so clear this beautiful call of the disciple of renunciation and to just like courageously go yes and to go and be a prophet because if you read it carefully i mean whenever you enter a house stay there until you leave if they don't welcome you shake the dust off and testimony they preached repentance they drove up many demons i mean they're literally going out doing what the old old testament prophets did Mm. which the old testament prophets in so many ways were held up as this sort of put on a pedestal in a certain sense of these really special people called to do these really special things which was true but I wonder if it crossed the disciples' minds of like, oh, wow, we're kind of doing the same thing. We are like Old Testament prophets, but in a new way and infused with this different grace and this sort of different um, this different vocation now. I wonder to what degree they started to put the pieces of that together. Praise be to God, at some point the church put it together and, and had in her wisdom to put these two readings together um, to say that Mark is informed by this reading from Amos, right? But that's what it's doing. That's what it's saying. This is what the call looks like. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus and to respond to his call, it looks like that. It's simplicity. It's readiness. It's immediacy, which is sort of the theme of all of Mark, like you pointed out, right? It is just being ready to, Mark is the same one who says, when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. The call is the call. Get up 
and start moving, which is what all of the readings in the church's liturgical year during year B this year are meant to ultimately point us toward. Whew. Yeah, so I mean, like, I love it. In a certain sense, I don't even want to complicate the message any further mm. to just say, um, are you really willing to surrender your whole life and yeah. to, to go? Are, are you willing to just say a wholehearted, full-throated yes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that that's was my whole throat. It, that's yeah. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, well, you guys, thanks for uh, joining us here in Napa mm. Valley in Boulder, Colorado. Um, may you just answer. You are chosen. The Lord has chosen you. He's called you. Go for it. Don't hesitate. This is the moment. This is this is the moment. Oh, future Saint Francis, that you can. Take yeah. all your clothes off and throw them at your father and go start a religious <laughs> order. And throw yourself in a thorn bush. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. I mean, that, that's the other thing that's beautiful about this is that what Jesus is also showing is there, there's, don't, there is a model, right? There is a, a paradigm, but your call is what God calls you to. Right. You know what I mean? It's not yes. like, oh, okay, so to be called means to do exactly what they did. Right. No, to be called means to listen to what God wants you to do. Yeah, which apparently for Francis was to do the things that Francis did. For Amos, it was to do the things that Amos did. For Ezekiel, it was to do the things that Ezekiel was called. Ezekiel was part of the power structure, and God uses people in the power structure. He also uses outsiders like Amos, who were who were sycamore dressers. He right. also uses out of work fishermen like Peter. He also uses Pharisees like Matthew or tax collectors like Matthew. Right? Yes. The call is whatever God calls you to. This is we have the paradigm in Scripture of how to listen for God's call. But what he's calling you to is up to God. It's up to God to tell you. So we've we've told you. We love you. (laughs) God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you next time. All right. God bless you. Bye. Farewell. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys, at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.